For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. Gentlemen, welcome to your latest edition of Over the Line. Andrew McLean here. That is correct. So glad to be with you yet again on this September 22nd, 2020. I am bright-eyed and bushy-tailed today, unlike yesterday. Yesterday, I felt like I had been hit by a train. And maybe... It was my stint in Facebook jail had given me somewhat of a social media hangover. I don't know. But nonetheless, I'm feeling a lot better now that we're out of Facebook jail. Although, can I tell you that once I got unbanned or unsuspended and started kind of going through my stuff and trying to play some catch-up on things we missed out on, I noticed that they have restricted on the over the line Facebook page my ability to invite people to the page for instance invite friends that are from my personal page over to the over the line page so what's the purpose of that is there any point in that they're just uh they're just being jerks at this point I guess I don't know but they're uh they're looking uh, between them and the Corona Nazis, the COVID Nazis, and everybody else. They just, uh, they're just looking to silence us. That's the only logical thing that I can come up with. So, anyway, glad you're here. Glad you're listening. Thank all you guys for uh, picking up the show, listening to it, sharing it with your friends and your family. No matter if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or you're watching us on YouTube. Uh, it really helps, and we're building our audience on a daily basis as we try new things. We do uh, new stuff to get the show out there. We're posting short clips on social media. You may have noticed this yesterday, 
posting these short clips, which is basically just a, a section of the show, maybe the best few minutes of the show. We're just compacting it down to that, so it's very uh, easy to watch. Because people, let's be honest, you, your attention span on social media is very short. So to put an entire podcast or an entire show on, say, Facebook, when you come across that in your feed, you're not going to stop for 45 minutes and watch that entire thing. You may do that on YouTube from time to time, but even that's hard to pull off. So we're trying to compact it down, make a very short, shareable clip, just a few minutes long, put it on there, and allow you to then share it with your friends, especially if it's got some good information that you feel like um, people need to know. We, we, we pride ourselves on at this podcast on, on putting out information that nobody's really talking about and... and in particular, what the mainstream media is not talking about. So that's what we're doing. Speaking of which, this morning, this is what I wake up to. And I didn't even know this was happening. The more I thought about it, the more I realized I did know it was coming. But with the chaos of the weekend, it just kind of got buried in the headlines. The president was speaking at the UN Assembly. Now, he he was supposed to go, from what I remember... He was supposed to go in person, but I guess they decided to do it from the White House. And likely it was a pre-recorded speech, but they played it this morning. And there was a handful of people there, including uh, China's representatives there at the UN. And so Ch Donald Trump got out there and did like a little five-minute speech. And I want to play that for you. And I'll probably start and stop it as we go along because there's some really good points that that are to be made and you got to keep in mind the president speaking at the UN he is speaking to the leaders and the representatives from all over the world especially these countries we're having the biggest problem with in particular China and it was uh it was a really good speech and this right here really highlights why I love this president so much because he is blunt he doesn't he doesn't mince words he just puts it out there he don't care what you think he don't care what terminology you say he can't use he just he just rolls with it so here's the president from this morning just uh really moments ago at the u.n assembly listen to this it is my profound honor to address the United Nations General Assembly. 75 years after the end of World War II and the founding of the United Nations, we are once again engaged in a great global struggle. We have waged a fierce battle against the invisible enemy, the China virus, which has claimed countless lives in 188 countries. In the United States, we launched the most aggressive mobilization since these now this is where this is where it's a strong start because off the top the president is calling it the china virus no matter how many members of the who or the chinese communist government tell him it's racist or xenophobic he's not going to stop calling it the chinese virus second world war we rapidly produced a record supply of ventilators creating a surplus that allowed us to share them with friends and partners all around the globe we pioneered life-saving treatments, reducing our fatality rate 85% since April. Thanks to our efforts, three vaccines are in the final stage of clinical trials. 
We are mass producing them in advance so they can be delivered immediately upon arrival. We will distribute a vaccine. We will defeat the virus. We will end the pandemic. And we will enter a new era of unprecedented prosperity, cooperation, and peace. As we pursue this bright future, we must hold accountable the nation which unleashed this plague onto the world, China. In the earliest days of the virus, China locked down. Calling them out. China, you are at fault, 100% at fault here. China was on the front lines. Now, there, there's two different facets to this. China could have stopped it. They could have shared the, the information with the world. They could have let everybody know. We've got a little bit of a problem here. If y'all got any advice on how we can keep it from coming to your country, or if you want to go ahead and preemptively shut down travel to your countries, you might want to go ahead and do that. Instead, they lied, and they knew they were lying when they said that this thing is not contagious, uh, asymptomatic people can't spread it, uh, it's not that big of a deal, don't worry about it, it's just a, a random problem that came from a wet market in Wuhan, and now we're finding out actually it came from a lab that the Obama administration was sending tons of money to to probably create this virus and then cause this catastrophe we know as COVID-19. Down travel domestically while allowing flights to leave China and infect the world. China condemned my travel ban on their country, even as they canceled domestic flights and locked citizens in their homes. The Chinese government and the World Health Organization, which is virtually controlled by China, falsely declared that there was no evidence of human-to-human -human transmission. Later, they falsely said people without symptoms would not spread the disease. The United Nations must hold China accountable for their actions. In addition, every year, China... Now, this is my favorite part. The... <laughs> I know y'all listening, y'all can't see this, but for you guys on YouTube, watch the Chinese representative as Trump is speaking and hammering China into oblivion. He starts to look around like, well, this is awkward. It dumps millions and millions of tons of plastic and trash <laughs> into the oceans, overfishes other countries' waters, destroys vast swaths of coral reef, and emits more toxic mercury into the atmosphere than any country anywhere in the world. China's carbon emissions are nearly twice what the U.S. has, and it's rising fast. By contrast, after I withdrew from the one-sided Paris Climate Accord, last year America reduced its carbon emissions by more than any country in the agreement. Those who attack America's exceptional environmental record while ignoring China's rampant pollution are not interested in the environment. They only want to punish America, and I will not stand for it. If the United Nations is to be an effective organization, it must focus on the real problems of the world. This includes... That is absolutely correct. The Paris Climate Agreement was, was constructed for no reason other than to punish the U.S. Because the U.S. was leading the world in environmental health. The U.S. led the world in a clean environment in taking steps to make sure we kept the environment as... Um, clean as possible for future generations we did there's no question about that but the 
environmental activist liberals democrats all alike had this this concerted effort to make it seem as if we were the worst polluters in the country and it's not because of pollution it's because of capitalism it's because of their philosophy to fundamentally change the economy and the way this country operates they view that as their ticket to take down big corporations and really the 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 lifeblood of capitalism in this country that's the reason for it if they actually cared about the environment they wouldn't be banning plastic straws they'd be going after china on a daily basis because china is the one actually hurting the environment more than any other country on this planet but they don't it's it's not that they take it easy on china they don't do anything with china they don't even mention china which shows that they're disingenuous about the environment. Terrorism, the oppression of women, forced labor, drug trafficking, human and sex trafficking, religious persecution, and the ethnic cleansing of religious minorities. America will always be a leader in human rights. My administration is advancing religious liberty, opportunity for women, the decriminalization of homosexuality, combating human trafficking, and protecting well that that's awkward he, he's still promoting the decriminalization of homosexuality he's actually supporting homosexuality but i thought he was supposed to stack the supreme court with people that were going to uh, uh, ban gay marriage and reverse roe v wade <laughs> give me a break unborn children we also know that American prosperity... And that's another thing. You can actually support gay marriage as the president does and still be pro-life. Be against the murder of babies, especially when it comes to Planned Parenthood that takes advantage of, of poor communities and communities of color at that to then double dip, get $500 million from the government every year, and then sell baby parts under the table. Security is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. In three short years, we built the greatest economy in history, and we are quickly doing it again. Our military has increased substantially in size. We spent $2.5 trillion over the last four years on our military. We have the most powerful military anywhere in the world, and it's not even close. We stood up to decades of China's trade abuses. We revitalized the NATO alliance, where other countries are now paying a much more fair share. We forged historic partnerships with Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador to stop human smuggling. We are standing with the people of Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela in their righteous struggle for freedom. We withdrew from the terrible Iran nuclear deal and imposed crippling sanctions on the world's leading state sponsor of terror. We obliterated the ISIS caliphate 100%, killed its founder and leader, al-Baghdadi, and eliminated the world's top terrorist, Qasim Soleimani. This month, we achieved a peace deal between Serbia and Kosovo. We reached a landmark breakthrough with two peace deals in the Middle East after decades of no progress. Israel, the United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain all signed a historic peace agreement in the White House with many other Middle Eastern countries to come. 
They are coming fast, and they know it's great for them, and it's great for the world. These groundbreaking peace deals are the dawn of the new Middle East. By taking a different approach, we have achieved different outcomes, far superior outcomes. We took an approach, and the approach worked. We intend to deliver more peace agreements shortly, and I have never been more optimistic for the future of the region. There is no blood in the sand. Those days are hopefully over. As we speak, the United States is also working to end the war in Afghanistan, and we are bringing our troops home. America is fulfilling our destiny as peacemaker, but it is peace through strength. We are stronger now than ever before. Our weapons are at an advanced level like we've never had before, like, frankly, we've never even thought of having before. And I only pray to God that we never have to use them. For decades, the same tired voices proposed the same failed solutions, pursuing global ambitions at the expense of their own people. But only when you take care of your own citizens will you find a true basis for cooperation. As President, I have rejected the failed approaches of the past, and I am proudly putting America first, just as you should be putting your countries first. That's okay. That's what you should be doing. I am supremely confident that next year, when we gather in person, we will be in the midst of one of the greatest years in our history, and frankly, hopefully, in the history of the world. Thank you. God bless you all. God bless America. And God bless the United Nations. So there you go. There's President Trump earlier today at the UN General Assembly as he um, gave his very, very strong statements. And I want you to notice what he says there at the end, which is, we will always put America first as you should put your country first. And that's okay. It's okay to put your country first. Now, we here in America, we've been told that it's wrong, that it's selfish, that it's self-centered to put your country first. But what the people in this country that say that don't understand is that the rest of the world puts their country first. Every one of these other leaders they put their country first. They do. So when Donald Trump says this to the other leaders, hey, it's okay for you to put your country first. I'm just doing the same thing you're doing. They respect him for it. When you hear the, 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 the talking heads and the media outlets talk about how Donald Trump is, is, is the laughing stock of the world, it's bullcrap. They look at Donald Trump, one, there's, there's a bit of a, a celebrity element to it in the sense of, oh, this guy's a TV star, he's a billionaire, blah, blah, blah. But then there's the part of, man, this guy gets it. He just wants to put his country first like we do. Now, that doesn't mean these other leaders are like, well, we're just going to let the U.S. run all over us. Of course, they want to do what's best for their country as well, but they get it. He's talking like them. Instead of us having a leader like Obama or everybody before him, for that matter, who would bow down to these people and say, no, we want to be fair. We want to let you have this. We want to let you have that. We want to send you $150 billion. We want to uh, get beat down in this Paris Climate Agreement, blah, 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 blah. They view those people as weak. This is a dog-eat-dog world when it comes to the world stage of leaders. You show weakness, they will eat you alive. 
especially when you're supposed to be the top dog. Put it in the in in the sense of of college football. If you're an Alabama fan, you know what it's like for every other team across the country to hate you because you've had the most success out of anybody over the past decade, right? That's the U.S. So if you've got Nick Saban in there coaching your team, and all of a sudden you put him out, you pull him out, and you put in somebody like Derek Dooley, okay? <laughs> Alabama's gonna get eaten alive because everybody's already coming for him, and you just put a weak leader in there. Some of y'all don't even get what I'm talking about, but trust me, it's a great analogy. So there's Trump. UN Assembly World Stage this morning. His comments, very strong, very proud to have him as our leader. Other breaking news coming out today. This morning, I woke up to see, first of all, it was a misleading headline, so I thought the opposite was true of the story, but it simply said, Mitt Romney says, uh, related to the Supreme Court pick, that he will follow history. And when he said that, I thought it meant like the Democrats' history in the sense of they're saying that the Senate is not supposed to take up a vote until after the election. But actually, what Mitt Romney said, he said that he would actually support moving ahead with a Supreme Court pick. And I'm going to be honest, I was, I was shocked. He said he would consider whoever Trump picks for the seat. If the nominee reaches the Senate floor, I intend to vote based upon their qualifications. So he is saying he's open to voting for whoever Trump puts forward. He's open to it. He didn't say he's voting for them, and, and I don't know that really anybody said that. But here's what I caution everybody on. It seems like a win for the Republicans, and the liberals obviously view it as a win because they're already in freakout mode. And then their safe guy, Romney, is all of a sudden saying, oh, I'll, I'll vote if I think they're qualified. But do not trust Mitt Romney. Don't count this as a win if you're wanting Trump to fill the seat. Mitt Romney is not to be trusted. He could put somebody in there. They could come up with these bogus Kavanaugh's a gang rapist style allegations. And then Romney is like, well, I just I can't do it. I can't do it in good faith. I just can't do it. Mitt Romney is a weak politician. He's so weak that I actually voted for a homeless friend of mine in 2012. I refused to vote for the guy. I was so disgusted with the Republican Party at that point. And I was still physically sick over voting for John McCain in 2008. But don't trust Mitt Romney. That's my point. Mitt Romney's a loser and... Well, it may be somewhat good news to hear that he will consider the nominee. I still wouldn't trust him. So take it for what it's worth. The left, obviously in freakout mode last night on CNN, Don Lemon, and the uh, Cuomo bro, Chris Cuomo. You know, they do the little bromance handoff between each other's show. I think Don Lemon comes on after Cuomo, so they have this little uh, awkward interaction every day as they go from one to the other. And they were talking about how they need to blow up the system if Donald Trump selects somebody before the election, and then if 
Joe Biden wins, they need to pack the Supreme Court. And by pack the Supreme Court, they mean expand it. Add as many seats as possible to the Supreme Court. This, this is liberals in action. This is what we as conservative talkers have told you for years. It's been dismissed as conspiracy theory and fear tactics. And let me tell you this. There was a time years ago where conservative talk radio people, this is well before podcast stuff, would really amp some stuff up would really embellish some of the stuff and and get people fired up over stuff they maybe really didn't have to be fired up over. Not that it was wrong or right, but it was just played up for the media, for the radio. But it's starting to come to fruition. Some of the things that have been said over the years. Some of the things that used to be viewed as scare tactics are now coming true. This being one of them, that the Democrats don't just want to add justices to the Supreme Court. They want to add seats. So they then have the ability to put as many liberal activist judges on those seats, on that bench, as humanly possible. Now watch this right here. This is Don Lemon in his own words. And even Chris Cuomo is like, I don't know about that. Don Lemon is like, no. We're going to burn the system to the ground, and we are going to reshape this entire country with the Supreme Court. No matter what happens, everybody sticks to the We're going to have team. to blow up the entire system. And you know what we're going to have to do? No, I don't know You know that. what we're going yes, yeah. we, to have to do? You just got to vote. Honestly, from what your closing argument is, you're going to have to get rid of the Electoral College. Because the people... I don't see it. Because the, the minority in this country decides who the judges are and they decide who the president is. is well, you that, need a is constitutional amendment to do that. And if Democrats, if Joe Biden wins, Democrats can stack the courts and they can do that amendment and they can get it passed. Well, you that's need two-thirds a, a vote in the Congress and three-quarters of the state legislature. They may be able to do that. Maybe. <laughs> you don't care. You don't care about the rules. You don't care about the norms and procedures. They just want to blow it up. That's all they're looking to do. And it, it, it's, it's that kind of language that gets people freaked out. Because they hear that and they're like, man, this must be a, a really dire situation. That they're talking about fundamentally changing everything that we do here in this country. Every way that this, every tactic, every, every aspect of how this country operates judicially. This must be desperate times. Donald Trump must be that dangerous. Joe Biden was asked at a kind of a, I guess, a virtual presser deal about that very issue, not about the Electoral College, but about adding seats to the Supreme Court. Now, Joe Biden has been a long time considered a moderate or at least left of center. So 10... 15 years ago, maybe even five or six years ago, you would have never packed Joe Biden for even considering adding seats to the Supreme Court. But the question was asked to him, and he he wouldn't even answer the question of whether or not he would add seats to the Supreme Court because, guess what? He's not making the decisions. He's got to check with his handlers on if they want to add seats 
to the Supreme Court? Let me tell you why I'm not going to answer that question. Because it will shift all the focus. That's what he wants. He never wants to talk about the issue at hand. He always tries to change the subject. But let's say I answer that question. Then the whole debate's going to be, well, Biden said or didn't say. Biden said he would or wouldn't. That's going to, this, this, the discussion should be about why he is moving in a direction that's totally inconsistent with what the founders wanted. They're designed, the Constitution says designed, if voters get to pick the president who gets to make the pick and the Senate who gets to decide. We're in the middle of an election right now, Brittany. You know, people are voting now. By the time this Supreme Court here would be held, if they hold one, would in fact, we probably, it's estimated 30 to 40% of the American people already have voted. It is a fundamental breach of constitutional principle. You notice he, he shifts the focus to this is where Trump's trying to take the conversation. Well, you know that's not true because I just played you Don Lemon in his own words. This is where the left is taking the conversation. This is their idea. Donald Trump simply saying, hey, this is what they're saying. It's not, it's not a Donald Trump tactic. It's not Donald Trump trying to change the subject. It's you guys. You guys are talking about it. But Joe Biden says, no, no, we're not, we don't want to talk about that. That's not, that's not what we're, uh, you know. Uh, we need to talk about filling the seat for Ruth Bader Ginsburg and how important it is that we wait until after the election to do so. I played this yesterday, but it is so important that we play it again. Democrats, in their own words, as to what you should do in an election year if a Supreme Court seat becomes available. The American people deserve a fully staffed court of nine. The president nominates and then the Senate advises and consents or not, but they go forward with the process. What we're seeing here, and I hope this is temporary, is a disrespect for the Constitution. The Constitution is 100% clear. The president of the United States has the right to nominate someone to be a justice of the Supreme Court. Senate's function is to hold hearings and to vote. The blockade on filling a naturally occurring vacancy, in my view, is harmful to the independence of the Article III branch. You cannot keep a seat on the Supreme Court, which represents all of us. You cannot keep it vacant against the Constitution. Do pretty much everything they can to avoid acknowledging the legitimacy of our democratically elected president. The American people expect the president's nominee to be given a fair hearing and a timely vote in the Senate. Every day that goes by without a ninth justice is another day the American people's business is not getting done. I say to you, do your job. Vote for a Supreme Court nominee. Instead of just saying the blanket rule is no matter who you are, no matter what your qualifications, because you were sent by this president, we will create a unique rule for you and refuse to entertain you. One of the most important um, consequences of who is president of the United States is who sits on the United States Supreme Court. If you want to stop extremism in your party, you can start by showing the American people that you respect the president of the United States and the Constitution. The American people deserve a fully staffed court of nine. Play that every single podcast if I have to. 
That needs to be heard by the entire country over and over and over until a Supreme Court justice is seated. The Democrats, in their own words, come on, let's do it, let's do it. And it's not like, it's not, it's not like they're even defending somebody that if the media wasn't running cover for the person, they're defending somebody they would even side with. Because here's the way the mob operates. You can be their best friend, right? You can be their biggest ally. But if you make one misstep, and that's saying something, wearing blackface 20 years ago, whatever, you're done, right? Absolutely done. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is that person. And this goes to show you that it's not about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's about replacing her with someone even more of an activist, even more of a liberal activist. Now, the media is running cover, and they're not playing this, but this is very important. And I meant to play this the other day, but I never got, or yesterday, but I never got around to it. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, at one point, and this was in the early days of, of this issue, she said that the Colin Kaepernick and the San Francisco 49ers kneeling for the anthem was dumb, disrespectful, and stupid. This is something else that needs to be played over and over as we as we honor Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I, I listen, I've put my thoughts out there. I put it on yesterday's podcast. I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg was probably a really good person. Every interaction I saw her involved with outside of the courts or even inside of the courts when she was uh, fellowshipping with, you know, other justices, she seemed very beloved by the rest of uh, of of the judges on the court. They love this lady. They seem to be all best of friends. So I think she was genuinely a good person. She was just a good person that made bad judicial decisions. Really bad ones. But one of the most prolific things and, and important statements she made was about the the kneeling for the national anthem. And I'll just play this for you. This is Ruth Bader Ginsburg in her own words. So make sure you share this with all uh, all your your liberal buddies, your liberal friends, and everybody that's that's mourning the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Justice Ginsburg, how do you feel about San Francisco 49ers player Colin Kaepernick and other NFL players who have? basically refused to stand for the national anthem. What do I think? I think it's really dumb of them. Would I arrest them for doing it? No. I think it's dumb and disrespectful. Uh, the same, I would have the same answer if you asked me about flag burning. I said, I think it's a terrible thing to do, but I wouldn't lock a person up for, for doing it. I would point out how ridiculous it seems to me to do such a such an act, but it's a, it's dangerous to arrest people for 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 conduct that is not uh, doesn't jeopardize the health or well-being of other people. It's a symbol they're engaged in. But when it comes to these football players, you may find their actions offensive. Yes. But what you're saying is 
it's within their rights to exercise those actions. Yeah, if they want to be stupid, there's no law that should be preventive. They want to be arrogant, there's no law that prevents them from that. What, what I would do is uh, strongly take issue with the point of view that they are, they are expressing. <laughs> Here's Ruth Bader Ginsburg in her own words. So you anthem kneelers, you flag burners, you're stupid, you're disrespectful, and you're ignorant. Bottom line, hey, that's that's her. I'm just I'm just saying. That's your hero, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Your point of view is stupid. She's not gonna arrest you for it, which I have yet to see anybody say that they would arrest somebody for flag burning or kneeling for the anthem. We just decided it was dumb and, and stupid. All right, let me go back real quick to the point of what the, the mainstream media and the left is doing to freak their base out. There's, there's many different levels of that and a lot to unpack on all the different levels they're freaked out on, from coronavirus to Donald Trump to everything else. But I want to stick to the Donald Trump aspect of this because I saw a story this morning that, that's very, very bothersome and, and it leads us to a very dangerous place in this country. And I saw the headline. It said, Secret Service involved in the arrest of two in Virginia allegedly carrying backpacks with guns and ammos near a Trump rally last night. Now, so I, I was like, <laughs> it's like, surely, surely not. So I start scrolling through here. This is from Fox News. Two Virginia residents were arrested on Monday after they were found walking on a railroad on railroad tracks behind an Ohio Ohio airport with a backpack containing a gun and ammunition before President Trump was set to conduct a, a rally nearby John Davison who's 38 Vicky Davison 33 both of Virginia Beach were arrested behind the Toledo Executive Airport in Lake Township which is a reliever airport for the city's main Eugene Kranz Toledo Express Airport, where the rally was be, uh, being held about 20 miles away. FBI and Secret Service agents were involved in the ongoing investigation into the pair. Um, police originally responded to the area after a witness reported that two people had gotten out of a vehicle and were walking on the tracks with shovels in a backpack. They said uh, they were not resisting but not cooperating, according to Lake Township Police Chief Mark Hummer. He said uh, they said the, their backpack contained a Glock pistol with an extended magazine, 200 rounds of ammunition, and four tourniquets. At least two shovels and a pitchfork were also allegedly found in their possession hummer added that the rented vehicle not even their vehicle a rented vehicle the pair had been found uh the pair had been in had several items suspicious in nature which he described as odd items but nothing illegal so we really don't have enough facts to say these people were in fact targeting members of a trump rally or even the president himself but it seems like a very odd situation. And the point I'm trying to make here is the mainstream media, the nature of this election, Joe Biden himself and the rest of the Democrats are driving their base to the brink of violence. 
and not just destruction of property, not just attacking a, 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 a bystander or a, 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 a counter-protester where the two are agitating each other. They're driving these people to the brink of harming and murdering innocent people. And they've done it before. They did it during the last election. You recall? The baseball field shooting against congressional Republicans where a Bernie bro showed up with a rifle and just started firing at Senate Republicans who were out there practicing for the congressional uh, softball baseball game. It hap- it's, it's a real thing that these guys are pushing their unstable supporters to the brink of violence. So even though when we hear the left say, if Donald Trump is reelected or he fills Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seats, there will be violence in the streets, there will be division like we've never seen. One... It's very telling that we all can just assume that there will be violence and rioting in the streets if Democrats don't get their way. But two, it is the literal definition of fascism to get your way through force, through the threat and the force of violence. To say, if we don't get our way, you will die. If we don't get our way, you will not be safe. And we're supposed to say, okay, fine, have your way. Destroy the country. That's what they're saying to us. They're telling us, give us our way or your life is over. It's a dangerous place to be in this country. One more thing before I get out of here. And as we are, as parents, are very involved in our kids' schooling right now because of virtual learning, for those of you that are still at home, we, our school goes back actually next week, but they're starting with two days a week, and hopefully we'll progress in full-blown school uh, in no time. But I saw this one from uh, the BizPack Review, and it says, Public schools across the country are promoting Black Lives Matter and organizing protest. And I don't have to go through the list of what a Black Lives Matter promotes. You guys know they're looking for the death of the nuclear family. You know they're promoting one race over another. You know they're promoting violence in the street when they don't get their way, a.k.a. fascism. But this is making its way into our schools. Now, we've seen the liberal agenda completely infiltrate higher education into the colleges. But now it's making its way into the high schools, into the elementary schools, under this umbrella of Black Lives Matter is just a statement saying that black people matter as we see as we see uh, black people relentlessly murdered in the streets. Public schools across the country have endorsed Black Lives Matter's movement and encourage teachers, students, and parents to do the same, with some schools organizing their own BLM protest, according to the Daily Caller. The Black Lives Matter movement has been linked to 91% of the riots across the U.S. between May 24th and September 12th, according to the U.S. Crisis Monitor, which is a, a joint protector of the Armed Conflict Location and Event Delta Project data project, 
and the Bridging Divides Initiative at Princeton University. Wow, that's a long name for an organization. Despite the close links between Black Lives Matter and the riots across the country, public schools have been a consistent source of support for the movement. Buffalo Public Schools integrated Black Lives Matter's guiding principles, which include disrupting the nuclear family into its curriculum for elementary school students, according to lesson plans and obtained and published by Fox News on Friday. One such principle included in the lesson Black Villages calls for the disruption of Western nuclear family dynamics and a return to the collective village that takes care of each other, a.k.a. socialism. A.K.A. traditional man and woman marriage. A.K.A. a mom and a dad in the home. Milwaukee Public Schools held a Black Lives Matter week of action in February. The listed demands for the week's events included fun counselors, not cops. It said, please join Miss Siddle and uh, other Buckman families for a kids march to show support for the memory of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. Now, when the George Floyd thing happened, I was a little suspicious on the front end, but I was like everybody else. I was like, this is really bad video. This doesn't look good for this police officer and everybody else at the scene. George Floyd seems to have been murdered by this cop in his knee. Not that it was racially motivated or anything like that. We just thought there was more to the story. But the more we found out after like three or four autopsies, we finally find out the truth that George Floyd was hopped up on a bunch of drugs, especially fentanyl. And then once we found out, once we got a hold of the entire uh, security footage, then we realized nothing was what it seemed. That George Floyd was not screaming he can't breathe because there was an officer on top of him. George Floyd was resisting arrest, refusing to get in the cop car, and well before he was ever on the ground, which he put himself there, was screaming he couldn't breathe. Now, why couldn't he breathe? Well, it turns out the amount of fentanyl in his system caused his lungs to enlarge and decreased his breathing by like 60% or something crazy. He basically overdosed on all these drugs he was using. So take that guy and put him in this scenario of teachers and a school system using him as some sort of role model and some sort of martyr, some sort of person to look up to for all the school children in that school system. And that's what Black Lives Matter is about. Glorifying the bad guys, taking down the good guys. That's it. It's not, a, it's not a black or white thing. It's not a male or female thing. It's just good versus evil. Take down the good, promote the evil. I told y'all last week, up is down, left is right, right is wrong. Everything's backwards. That's the goal of these people. Everything that is good and wholesome about society has to go. And they will not stop until they accomplish that. 
That's it for this edition of Over the Line. Thank you so much for hanging out with me yet again. Make sure you share this podcast, whether it's here on YouTube or the audio version on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever. And uh, click the little notification bell. And subscribe, too. That's kind of important. But make sure you stay updated by following me on Twitter at Andrew McLean, who also on Facebook over the line should be facebook.com slash over the line but you can find it it's on there we're still somewhat restricted on what we can do but we're going to post the truth and the corona bros the covid nazis and big tech will not silence us we will continue to get the word out until tomorrow see you cool